Hey, welcome back to Money for Everyone. I'm Megan. And this is Eric. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about what's been going on with GameStop since we had a lot of requests to talk about that and address that with the whole drama with Robin Hood and everything. Um, and then we're also going to introduce ourselves a bit more since this is our first podcast episode and talk a little bit more about us. And then to finish, we're going to talk a bit about where to start with your money. Um, if you're just starting out, maybe paying off debt or whatever it may be, um, just some tips we have on how to get started. So Eric, I know you know a little bit more than me, I think, about what's going on with GameStop and Robinhood. So for those people who may be listening that have just seen a lot about it but don't really know what's going on, would you mind explaining what's a bit of what's happening there? <laughs> so there's quite a bit to talk about here. And like Megan said, we got a lot of requests to at least mention some of what's going on in the market um, in terms of GameStop, Dogecoin, Silver, Wall Street bets, um, big hedge fund billionaires. And I, I think the most important thing to take away from all this madness is to understand when something sounds way too good to be true. And what happened with GameStop, and sure, you can you can go on and, and look at what a short squeeze is. I don't think we'll cover that during this podcast, but I think a lot of what's going on is a lot of people are just frustrated with the uh, kind of the tone that Wall Street's been walking to over the last 20 years. And it is a bit of a rebellion. It's I personally think it's it's very impressive what Wall Street bets did. Um, but for those listeners that this is the first time hearing about it or you just saw maybe a tweet or you saw Elon Musk say something, you saw Dave Portnoy <laughs> say something, essentially what happened was a bunch of individual investors, so folks like you and me that got onto Reddit or on a forum called Wall Street Bets. And Wall Street Bets decided to essentially artificially raise the price of a stock by getting a large number of individual investors to buy a certain stock. Now, it started with GameStop for whatever reason. I think a lot of people were, it was a very, very, very popular popularity shorted stock. And I think our generation was fed up because GameStop was part of our childhood. It was part of growing up, at least from the male perspective of going trading in certain games. And this stock has just for been sure. in the tank for so many years. And a bunch of individual investors just decided to pump money into the stock, which pissed off a lot of the large hedge funds who had short positions and it just became this crazy news story and once the news story broke ground a lot of famous people started to a lot of politicians too started to ask questions about what was going on and then robin hood wouldn't let people buy any more of the stock they would only allow people to sell the stock which is just insane. Um, and so a lot of people, uh, both pol politicians, um, just news reporters, there's a wide variety of people that are asking questions of Robin Hood. So there's a lot going on, but a lot of it, as you know, is hype. A lot of the stuff that you read, and I mean, I even was walking down the street the other day, and I heard a bunch of random people talking about GameStop. I went out to go get a drink with a friend and a bunch of, you know, 18, 19 year olds were out and they were talking about Dogecoin. Like this is a telltale sign that a lot of this hype and it's, it, it it's going to be interesting to see what regulations occur because of this event, but now it's already too late. So my advice yeah. to everybody that's listening is just to kind of take a pause kind of react the way that you want to react, but please be careful if you're going to invest any money with Robinhood or invest any money at this point in these so-called popular shorted stocks like AMC, Dogecoin, <laughs> Silver, because we have no idea whether whether it's going to go up and down and, and you don't want to buy at a premium. You don't want to buy when everybody else is buying because then you're going to have to sell it at a lower cost. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. I think that summed it up. I think one problem with, you know, all of this going on is in particular with GameStop is seeing who can hang on longer. Um, you know, the, the hedge fund billionaires or the, you know, regular everyday people, they're seeing who can hold out longer until the other one gives in. Um, which I think that can be kind of dangerous here for, you know, both ends of it. And I think one thing people don't realize is even if you are one of the regular people that bought the GameStop stock for as a joke or, you know, because it's something that you should believe in, I don't know, you're going to have to sell it at some point, (laughs) probably. Um, It's obviously way overvalued. And I think what people don't realize is you, when you sell it, someone else is buying it, your shares, you know, when you sell those shares that you purchased. Um, So there's somebody else out there that's a regular person that you are actually screwing over who is going to be buying the way overvalued (laughs) stock, you know, um, they're going to be buying it for that astronomical price that you sold it at. So I, I mean, I think people don't realize that they're, what happens to those shares after you sell them, you know, somebody else is going to be buying them. Right. Exactly. Uh, And in the case of GameStop, this isn't a natural bull run, which to all our, to our listeners that aren't very privy within the financial markets, um, you'll hear a lot of the times that people will call like a bull market or a bear market. Um, A bull is a bull. A bull means that you're optimistic that the stock is going to go up. Now, you may hear that we've been in a bull market for the last 10, 15 years, ever since the 2008 financial crisis, Mm -hmm. which essentially means the majority of investors are optimistic that the stock market's going to increasingly go up. Now, a bear market is where it's the opposite of that. It's the inverse. It's where a lot of people are very pessimistic about the future of the stock market. Maybe there's some volatility. But this isn't a natural bull run. This is artificial. This is yes. very, it, it, it relies heavily on hype. And, and we're going to see a lot of regulations coming out because this is just the cat's out of the bag, right? Apps like Robinhood, you know, I personally, I don't use any, any apps like that. I don't know. Do you use any like that, Eric? Apps like Robinhood or? I personally don't just because I know at the end of the day that if I do get end up getting a Robinhood account, I might become addicted to it. You know, <laughs> it, it's really fun to play the stock market. It's just like playing pull tabs or going to the casino, right? It, it, it's something that you can watch every day. It's something you can buy and sell. And if you make a little money, that's really exciting, but it's also very addicting. I I tend to use um, apps like Acorns that is more of a passive investing strategy. I allocate $50 every single month. Um, It's invested into a wide variety of mutual funds and the S&P. So as long as the market keeps going up and up, uh, that investment is going to be very fruitful over time. But I've always been very apprehensive to doing something like Robin Hood for whatever reason. And now that GameStop and AMC, Nokia, all these random legacy stocks are now becoming very, very hot, I think a lot more people are going to try to get into the Robin Hood game. And that's going to create some more volatility in the market. So I'm a bystander in this. That's my attitude. Robinhood yeah. account. That's amazing. I, I think it's a great concept. I think it it's really democratizing and allowing uh, the stock market to be played by everybody, which yeah. it should be instead of institutional investors that have owned the market for the last hundred years. Yeah. Um, and again, they're not people that are, you know, leading Robin Hood, their CEO and board of directors and, and everything, they rely heavily on the influence of large hedge funds and large institutional investors that have a lot of influence because they have a lot of money. And that's exactly what we saw when everything was going on with GameStop. It just halted trading for like 24 hours. So people that bought at a really low price and as soon as it skyrocketed i don't know the percentages but you can imagine that if you put a hundred dollars when it was like five bucks and then it shot up to 75 bucks the return on that's insane yeah 
they're gonna be sued up the ass. <laughs> True. I guarantee here, like Robinhood, there's gonna be class action lawsuits. Oh, for sure. This this story isn't going away. I think it's only starting to just heat up in a way in terms of regulations, in terms of the SEC um, investigating what really happened that day with Robinhood and all these other institutional investors. But I think this is a good junction in the history of the stock market because it, it's really impressive what wall street bets did i mean to execute a short squeeze with a bunch of <laughs> small institutional investors is just it's like a group of ants taken on an elephant <laughs> it's like the coordination and the belief and the animosity towards the elephant to all these little ants to band together it's <laughs> it's really insane and i think this is only going to bode well for our generation especially because this is the first indication that we're really, really upset with how the system has been ran these past 60, 70 years, ever since post-World yeah. War II. Um, and all of the baby boomers, you know, up in their ivory towers, so to speak, and, and kind of controlling what's happening in, in politics, controlling what's happening with some of the large Fortune 500 companies, and also, I've been reading and listening to a lot of additional podcasts and just watching the news. And this is really making financial literacy mainstream, it which is. I'm really excited about. And I'm glad that we are starting this podcast because I think a lot more people within our generation um, are going to be concerned about it or they're going to be interested in it. Yeah. Right? Kind of the gamification of buying and selling stocks. And back 20 years ago, if your parents never taught you yep. what investing looks like, how the stock market really works, um, I would make a suggestion to everybody that's listening to this podcast as a good base level understanding of how really the economy works. I think that's where you have this. If you want to learn more about the stock market, you have to start somewhere with how macroeconomics work. There's a 10 minute YouTube video by Ray Dalio, who owns <laughs> I, I think Bridgewater Associates, one of the largest hedge funds in the world. And he does a 10 minute pot or a 10 minute YouTube clip around the inner workings of the economy and how it really works like a machine. Mm -hmm. I would recommend watching. It's probably one of the best 10 minutes you can ever spend. And that'll give you a good, at least base level understanding of debt ratios and how the markets react and small bubbles and large bubbles i think it's have you seen that megan i feel like i have but i can't remember if i did it was a long time ago um i definitely know ray dalio so i mean i don't know yeah i think that's a great suggestion i think it's i think financial literacy is really important but what i'm excited about especially now for our generation um with the internet i mean we have access to information that our parents didn't have access to, you know, like, like what you were saying before, if your parents didn't teach you how to invest, then you most likely don't know how to, because I know I didn't learn about it in schools. I mean, I learned a little, I had an economics class, but it, it didn't prepare me enough. Um, I would say, um, probably put you to sleep. <laughs> yeah, actually I didn't mind my economics class. It wasn't too bad, but it was really, simple and basic and it wasn't stuff that i don't think was is really useful um in my opinion that's my opinion but i think like you said i think financial literacy is going to be more talked about and more common um and people are going to be more interested in it now and i think it's so important to know different terms and what they mean and I think it's so dangerous to be investing in something that you know nothing about. Like, I love the idea that anybody can invest now with these apps, with these different online banks, you know. I think that's wonderful. I think it's great that everybody has access to all publicly traded companies. But with that, I think there's a bit of danger where now we have all of these, if you have, you know, a million people who can't define the term investment, you know, or can't define, you know, explain what the S&P 500 is or don't know, you know, the difference between different types of investment accounts. I'm not saying they need to be an expert, but 
I think that can be kind of dangerous when you have a bunch of these amateur investors, not just, you know, for themselves, you know, I think you investing, not knowing what you're investing in or why you're doing it just because you saw like a post on Reddit, I think can be very dangerous for yourself. So I, I, you know, I think it's a positive thing and a negative thing as you know, pretty much everything is. Yeah. And so that's why I personally don't use apps like Robinhood. Um, just because I don't believe in buying single stocks. I just don't. I invest in index funds. Um, I think when you do just like, I'm going to put, you know, I'm going to take, you know, $100, $1,000, $10,000, whatever it is, and just put it all, you know, towards this one company. Like Tesla, for example, I know is a very popular single stock a lot of people own. Um, I mean, you really are putting all your eggs in one basket there. And, I, that's more, in my opinion, that's not investing. That is gambling. That's definitely gambling, not investing, in my opinion. Um, and I think that's a lot of what's going on with our generation, with people in their 20s. You know, they're more gambling with their money. They're not really investing for their future. And that's something that I really yeah. want to touch on in this podcast. So, yeah, that's a really good point. I think it brings up the concept of risk. Yes. And all stock market, all economy is based on scarcity, right? Mm-hmm. It, yeah, so while we're talking about apps like that and online banks that you can invest through, what are what are you invested in? I mean, if you're comfortable with sharing that. Of course. So happy, happy to share my philosophy behind investing. Um, really, it's all about your personal goals at the end of the day. You have to have yeah. some sort of target that you want to hit, and that'll... Um, give you some clarity around how aggressive you want your investment strategy to be. But for me, my personal goal is to retire at least when I'm 55 or 60, at least own two properties and be able to have enough additional funds to travel the world, to give Mm -hmm. my kids a great, you know, college education, drive reliable cars and live where I want to live, which is a hefty goal but my investment strategy is more of a passive one i'm not as much of a risk taker as some other investors might be so like you're talking about i don't invest in individual stocks i i don't go on Robinhood, and surely i i could probably make a pretty penny investing in you know blue chip stocks like disney mm-hmm. or you know amazon any of the fang you know facebook alphabet amazon netflix and google mm-hmm. um but I'm a passive investor. I, I put a lot of my money in the 401k. I maxed it out last year. I'm planning on maxing awesome. it out this year. And for those listeners that are fortunate enough to have a 401k, I would highly recommend that you share or, or you put a portion of your paycheck towards that 401k. A lot of employers yes. will automatically do that anyways but I would be sure that you're maxing it out and yes. leverage your HR department because it's such a, it's such a beneficial strategy. I, I mean, the numbers, if you start investing in your 401k in your twenties, as opposed to your thirties, it's in the millions yep. difference that you can accrue over the course of 30 years, 20 years, whatever it may be. For so sure. I'm a passive investor. I also have money in an Acorns account that rounds up all of my purchases yep. and goes into a virtual piggy bank that's also tied to the market. And I just looked at it actually. And since the market's increased about 25% this year, I've yep. made like $300 just by having that one simple account. And I don't even, I don't have to do it anything for it. You know, I just yeah. set a minimum allocation each month and then it just rounds up all my purchases so it it's really a a nice tool i'm excited to see where that account grows in the next 30 years and they can liquidate it but you know i'm I'm more of a passive investor i'm less i take less risks um i try to follow macro or economic trends and really see when an appropriate time it is to invest more money um but eventually my other strategies, once I have a safety note of $10,000 saved up, which I, I'm currently at, and I've paid off all my debt, including student debt, including my auto loan, that's the time more I'm going to look at additional investments when yep. it comes to real estate. So I want to invest in a real estate property. A duplex is, is one of the most popular ways to 
get started. You get some additional revenue coming in each and every month is you just live in one section of the duplex, you rent out the other section, the renter pays for your mortgage. And then when the mortgage is all paid off, you can either sell the house or rent out the second room or the second part of the duplex. And that could be your retirement strategy. So yeah. that's my investment strategy in a nutshell. Um, Megan, I'm, I'm interested in hearing what yours is too, because I know you've got a lot of irons in the fire, so to speak. So. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess I'd say I'm kind of similar, um, but I don't have a 401k currently. Um, I know when we worked together at an unnamed bank, um, <laughs> we had a 401k there as well. It will be remained unnamed. It will be the bank who will not be named. <laughs> um, yeah, so I had a 401k there. And, um, I think when I left after working there for like two years, I think I only had like $2,000 in it. Like it was like nothing, you know? Um, but I rolled that over then into traditional. I had a mix of traditional and Roth in my 401k. Um, we can get into that in a later episode, the difference between traditional contributions and like Roth contributions to your 401k. But I didn't know what the hell I was doing at the time. So I did a bit of both and that made it more complicated to roll it over, unfortunately, but that's okay. Um, now I just have, um, through Betterment is where I go through for investing. Um, I'm more long-term investor for sure, more retirement oriented. Um, I'm planning on not pulling out of these accounts, hopefully until I'm 60 or maybe even not at all. Hopefully I'll have passive income from maybe a business or real estate by then, I don't know. Um, this is, you know, 40 years from now, who knows? <laughs> Nobody can predict that. Um, but I have a Roth IRA that I invest in through Betterment. I just, and it's their um, socially responsible investing investment strategy, um, SRI, um, rather than their regular portfolio, just because I, there's a lot of companies I don't believe in personally, and I want to make sure I'm giving my money to companies that are a bit more maybe environmentally friendly or, you know, more conscious about, you know, how they treat people and stuff like that. So yeah, I just max out, my husband and I both max out our Roth IRA contributions each year we have for the last two years for 2019, 2020, and we're planning on doing that for 2021. And yeah, that's about it about investing in companies that do well for the environment because it is going to become a competitive advantage yeah more of our generation are going to shop at places that give a portion of their profits back to you know mankind right whether it be you know people under the poverty line whether it be help cleaning out our oceans whether it just be using recyclable materials into their products yeah. That's going to be a competitive advantage. I mean, look at Tesla over the last 10 years. Yeah. You know how hard it is to run a successful automotive company? Really hard. Been two automotive companies that have never gone bankrupt. Ford. Be Ford and Tesla. So Elon has done an incredible job. And I think it's because of our belief that electronic vehicles are not only going to help save the environment, but also it's going to be a more practical means of transportation in the long run. And it's relatively going to be cheaper. Yeah. Um, and as technology gets better. So I think that's a really good strategy. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, the main reason why I did it was because of personal beliefs, you know, but now that I'm, you know, reflecting on it, I'm really glad that I did it, you know, started doing that back in 2019 because I really think because the SRI, SRI strategy is far more tech focused and like more environmentally friendly. So, and I think that's the way the earth is going anyway, your companies are trying to slowly change to get to that point. So, I mean, it could possibly perform better than the, their regular funds that they put you in. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, I'm not saying that anybody has to go out and do exactly what I did, you know, but that's just what I've done. And it's worked out really well. I mean, our investments, you know, for 2020 were up like over 20%, you know, so it's, they've been, I mean, but that's because we had a crazy rally this year after the drop in March, it just went up and up and up. And every day was like another record breaking day. I mean, 
not quite. Obviously, there. I mean, there's been a lot of volatility, but so that's pretty much all I'm investing in right now. But my plan is, whenever we do have, you know, whether it be like a higher income or maybe we pay off some debt, putting money into a golden butterfly fund. Um, the golden butterfly strategy is I'll, I'm not going to go into detail about it, but, um, if you want to just look up golden butterfly, basically it's just like a certain portion of stocks, certain portion of bonds and certain portion of gold, um, to balance it out. I have a, I'm going to tweak it a bit though and make it more my own. I've found out that I'm actually a very aggressive investor. Um, about as like risky as you can get, but without investing in individual stocks. So I have a, in my Roth IRA, 90% stocks, 10% bonds, rather than most people are usually like 60, 40, like 60% stocks, 40% bonds in their portfolios usually. That's my plan for later on as of right now. <laughs> All right, Megan, I'm curious too. Can you walk us through kind of where you're at in terms of your lifestyle or talk, talk to us about more of like how you've gotten to where you are today, right? I know mm-hmm. you're a homeowner, you're married, you have no college debt. Kind of take us through the life of Megan Payne. Oh gosh, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> well, my basic philosophy is for life right now are kind of minimalism and um, environmentally friendly. You know, that's kind of what I've been on for the last year, I would say. It's my passions. Um, But since this is about finance, I guess I discovered the FIRE community, I think, two and a half years, two years ago, something like that. Um, The FIRE community. What is FIRE? Yeah, it's um, stands for financial independence, retire early. And basically, I was just browsing finance podcasts two years ago, and I saw the mad scientist, and I listened to him, and I ended up listening to all of his content and went on his blog and read all of his content, and he referenced a bunch of other fire community people, and I devoured all of their content and read books and <laughs> all that sort of thing. And basically, it's a group of people that have retired generally in their 30s, um, maybe their 40s, some of them even in their late 20s. They've retired with large portfolios. And basically, they just aggressively invest all of their extra income in index funds, kind of like what I'm doing. Um, but once they max out their 401k or Roth, or like Roth contributions, then they go to an individual account, like I said, how I want to do with the Golden Butterfly. And along with that too, with uh, maxing out how much you're investing, they also believe in minimizing like how much you consume and minimizing your expenses in every way that you can and minimizing debt um, so that you can retire really early if you want to. Um, a lot of them with most of the FIRE community have like plans for after they retire. They're not just going to sit there and do nothing. A lot of them start their own businesses. They just leave employment, but then now they have like a blog they run full time or well, they don't need to work full time though, but it's just what they do, you know, a couple hours a week or they end up becoming writers. They, the philosophy is basically you retire and then you're free to do whatever you want and chase your dreams and, you know, try to go after your passion. And I know the mad scientist now, like he has a passion for music and he just came out with an album and that's what he worked on after he retired in his thirties. So yeah, I mean, it's not like you just sit on your ass and do nothing. And I think that's kind of a misconception of the fire community. Like, oh, you retire when you're 30 and you just don't do anything. You just lay around. It's like, no, like people have passion projects that they work on. They're like, you know, they get a job to make money first and then they work on their go for their dreams, um, which I think is really interesting. Right. Uh, definitely is interesting and it's almost like they're changing the definition of what it means to be retired yes right you know what we traditionally think as retirement is chilling on a golf course in fort myers florida in (laughs) 90 degree weather when you're 65 or 70 yep but why does it have to be like that right and i think what you've mentioned about the fire community is they're 
they're trying to figure out a way very early on where they can go after their passions without being held back by the financial constraints that all of us in our 20s find ourselves in, um, which is really, really exciting. So where where do you see being a part of this community and having that mindset? Where, where do you think you can land when, let's say, you're 35? I mean, I'm, I know by the time I'm 35, I can choose to not be employed anymore. I've done the math thousands of times because I'm obsessed with it and weird like that. Um, but I mean, my husband and I, the only debt we have is our house, um, and a car and we're going to have the car paid off at the end of this year. And along with us trying to minimize our life and make it as simple as possible and, you know, cut back expenses, we realized why the heck do we have two cars? Um, we work one block away from each other and I've been working from home for almost a straight year now. And I think it's going to continue that way after, um, COVID. So we're probably going to get rid of, you know, his car and that's, then we're going to have the other car paid off. And then that cuts back on car insurance, um, you know, getting tires, all that sort of thing. And then we also refinanced our mortgage, um, in this last September, and now it's only a 15 year mortgage. So, and we're putting a little bit extra on it. So it'll be paid off in 14 years. But if we end up putting, you know, if we have a couple thousand extra dollars throughout the year and we put that on there, I mean, we're probably gonna have our house paid off in seven years and we're not planning on moving at all. I mean, we have room to grow into this house. I mean, we're oh, probably gonna be totally debt free and, you know, by my guess in like eight years or something like that. Mortgage paid off everything. And, you know, Mortgage is $1,200 for us. So if we, I mean, our expenses then after all of our debts paid off and if, you know, when we have a kid too, this is including the expenses of having a child that I've looked into. I mean, our monthly expenses are going to be $2,000 a month for a family of three or four when we're debt free. So I think, yeah, I mean, when I'm 35, I think I should easily be able to have enough invested to not have to work anymore where I can withdraw 4% of my invested dollar amount and that should cover my expenses. Megan, you said a lot of really interesting stuff there. I think it's important for our listeners to know that you're not only taking action right now towards your goal of eventually being debt-free, eventually being self-sustainable, at least by the time you're 30 and retiring and pulling from your 401k and all this, but also the thinking ahead, really the thoroughness of your research and your ability to stay disciplined, not only to your current budget, but also always have, you know, in the back of your head, that vision that drives your decision-making. So I wanted to ask you, at what point in your life did you start your passion for finance and how did that allow you then to build such a you know financially literate repertoire of knowledge that now look at you you're in a position where you're so far ahead of a lot of other people i want our listeners to know where that spark started from yeah absolutely I guess I should mention too that I'm only 22 years old. Our listeners might not know that. So yeah, I guess you guys. It, <laughs> it started, I guess I had just moved out and it was right after I graduated high school, moved into an apartment downtown in the town I grew up in and started going to the local tech school. And my parents, I guess, have always been interested in money and finance but they weren't always the best with it. <laughs> I think, um, you know, my dad always read like the Wall Street Journal and, you know, we had, they always had all these finance books on the shelves and they read a bunch of them. But for some reason, I think my um, parents, particularly my dad at the time, never put them into action. I think kind of out of fear of failure, you know? And so I was at my mom's house and I found this book that had, um, it said, retire young, retire rich on it. And I was like, oh, okay. That sounds interesting, right? I mean, it's a grabby title. It was like a bright purple book. And I read it, and it's by Robert Kiyosaki. I don't 100% agree with the man, so I'm just saying this is the book that sparked it, you know? <laughs> and he talked about how him and his wife retired. I think he was in his, like, 40s, and his wife was maybe, I think, 38, 39, something like that. And I was like, holy shit, you're telling me people 
can retire early at that age. Like that's crazy. And that kind of started it where I realized maybe I can do this. And he kind of explained step-by-step how he did it and his mindset. And I think that kind of helps that book really helped shift my mindset about money. And I realized, well, maybe, you know, then I had this goal because then I was working at the unnamed bank and I'm like, you know, maybe I can, I'm going to shoot to retire at 50. Like, I think I can do 50. Heck yeah. You know, I think that's something I can definitely do because I was doing the math and then I read, I think, another book by Robert Kiyosaki and then a bunch of other ones like The Millionaire Mind, and which is um, by the same author who wrote The Millionaire Next Door. I read so many. Then I think you actually, where we were talking at the bank one day and you brought up the podcast, Listen, Money Matters, and that I should I listen that, to yes. it. And I did, and I listened to pretty much every episode that they've come out with. I feel like, you know, while I would shower in the evenings, I would just play them because they had long episodes and learned a lot from those guys too. And then that's where I also discovered the Mad Scientist after I found Listen Money Matters. And, you know, Mad Scientist led me to Mr. Money Mustache. And I also then, and then I just started reading a ton of different books. And I came, I was in Barnes and Noble looking for more finance books And there was one called Quit Like a Millionaire. And I think this is the number one book. If anybody is interested in retiring early, the number one highest rated book I can, (laughs) like, in my opinion, (laughs) the best book you can read for that. It's by um, Christy Shen and her husband, I can't, Bryce, Bryce, Bryce Long, Leong. I don't know how to say the last name. Sorry if I'm butchering it. But they have a blog as well called um, Millennial Revolution. And it's very interesting. I read, I've read pretty much most of their blog posts they've written and they have probably like thousands on there. She grew up in China and grew up with no money. Her family lived off of like 40 cents a day, basically transforms to like when she's 31, she retired a millionaire. She started from nothing. Her family were immigrants to Canada. It was really interesting. So that book really then put it in perspective, like, wow, if her and her husband can do this and she started from like as low as you can get, you know, they were dirt poor in China, like no electricity, like stuff like that. I think it's insane. I mean, like, I'm like, if someone can do that, you know, be an immigrant and come here and, you know, not know the language and be totally dirt, dirt, dirt poor. I mean, I am already so many steps ahead of that, that I'm like, there's no excuse why I can't do that as well if I wanted to, it's not like a competition though, but I'm just saying that that really inspired me to push myself to try to do that and also try to help others. If that's something that they were interested in. Right. And it's all about hearing those stories, right. And and giving you that inspiration and learning one of the, the pitfalls and the stories and the benefits over a course of time really gets you inspired to make those little transitions, right? And I remember reading a book over the summer called Compound Effect, and it, it it answers a lot of the questions around how do people get financially literate in the first place. And it, mm-hmm. it all starts with creating these small little habits. And what I took away from, from what you mentioned about first when you started reading Robert Kiyosaki's book, that led you to want to read more and more and more and it's and it's the compound effect essentially is if you make small habits consistent and part of your daily routine the benefits of that you won't see them right away right we've all gone to the gym and decided to say hey we're gonna lose 10 pounds or i want to put on 10 pounds of muscle you know i want to bench 200 as opposed to 150 and over the next two weeks, you go consistently to the gym and then you don't see any improvements and you say, oh, why am I going to the gym anyways? This is never going to happen. Yep. It's because the benefits, if you can picture this in your head, it's like a hockey stick. You're not going to see the benefits and you're not going to see the results right away. But it's so important. This is where a ton of people get lost in the shuffle. This is why so many people, in my opinion, aren't very happy with where they are at financially because it takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And I think that is an such an important mindset shift that everybody needs to make 
And this is going to lead us into our last topic of the day is, is how to change your perspective and your perception of your own financial situation is you have to have a starting point, whether it is starting to look at a budget, maybe it's putting such a small amount, like $10 away every single week. And at the end you have 40, right? It's all about making these little shifts in your habits that are going to lead to more and more and more and more. And just like you reading several books when you were young, that led you down a path to you start to understand some of the things that you were reading and started to looking at your own financial situation, set goals for yourself. And now you're 22 and you're at such a great place. But I think it's very important for everybody listening to this podcast to know that it's fine it's fine if you're not where you want to be at in terms of your financial situation. It is very normal to feel that way. One of the main goals that I have personally for this podcast, and I know Megan, you do too, is that we want everybody to think positively about money. And that's a very hard thing to do because we were never taught that as a kid. We were never taught outside of maybe playing Monopoly and having gold coins or you know chocolate gold coins money was just kind of you know some of us had allowances some of us had a lot of you know come from very affluent backgrounds some of us don't but no one really taught you budgeting finances investing on taxes what interest rates are no so (laughs) don't don't put the blame on you and that's my first tip when you take a look at what your own financial situation looks like today is that it's all about making that first step. And one of the things that I did when I was in college that really, really helped kind of set myself down a path and kind of gave me a little bit of direction is I wanted to first understand exactly what I wanted my life to be like in about 20 years and really be honest with yourself. If you have, You know, if you have the taste of champagne on a beer's budget, you really have to start budgeting and putting money away. Or if you want to live a very minimalistic lifestyle like Megan, you don't have to earn a lot of money. But at the end of the day, you still need to be cognizant of what's coming in every single month in terms of income and how much you're spending. So I challenge all the listeners on the phone to do some sort of audit this week, next week, could be the whole month of February. But watch your spending watch and don't feel bad go about your normal activities just bring some more visibility into exactly what you're spending and if you're having questions on well i have to spend money on rent i have to feed myself i have to you know go buy clothes that's fine there's one thing that I want you to pay very close attention to, write it down. And at the end of the month, see how much this dollar figure is. And you are going to be shocked. Look at your monthly statement on every single bank has an online banking. If you don't bank online, that's, that's the first step. Um, look at how many subscription services you pay every single month. Add up that total. And then go with the highlighter and say, okay, which ones do I actually use? In yep. the last month, which of these subscription services did I actually use? And then yep. all the ones that you highlight that you actually use, keep them. The ones that you don't, redline them, go online, cancel that subscription, and take that additional money and spend it on something that you I think that's going to allow you to look at your finances a little bit more and that's going to allow you to have the motivation and start that momentum. Um, Megan, I'm curious to see if you have any tips for our listeners. Yeah, I think the biggest, one of the biggest things too, in addition to that, I mean, that's the best place to start. That's where I started. I mean, I just, I still every now and then kind of audit my online banking. Like I just scroll through you know, you look at like one whole month of charges, or I think when you're first starting, you should look at the last, you know, three months, maybe if you can go back that far and just see, look at everything that has come out of your account. And there, I think, yeah, the subscriptions thing is huge. We live in a world where you subscribe to so much and so many things are automatically coming out of your bank account that you don't even notice it. You don't even think about it. And it could be stuff that you're not even using. And it's just money being 
like thrown away. Um, so I think that is a huge aspect of it. But another big thing is I think just really picture your idealized life and what you really truly want and value most in life and then align your spending and your day-to-day life with that future ideal goal like think of the top five goals you have in life the top five and stay focused just on those and don't try your best to not get distracted by the little things because I think the problem is people when they, you know, want to stop spending as much, they see it as they're like depriving themselves of something. Well, I deserve it because I worked 40 hours this week and now it's Saturday and I want to go out and I want to buy this thing or whatever. And rather than viewing it as, oh, now I can't, oh, I can't buy it because I'm on a budget or I can't, you know, see it as, you know, rather than getting this $20 decor piece or this whatever it may be, a new video game that maybe you're only going to play one time and then never touch again. I don't know. Say, you know, I'm going to take that $50 instead or whatever it is, and I'm going to put it towards my future self, my future ideal goal. Think about maybe your one of your top goals is I want to be debt-free. Make it a reality in your mind that you're debt-free, that it's already happened in your brain, okay? Imagine what it will feel like what it will look like, what it will sound like, what it will smell like. I don't know, even if it's like a travel goal and make it a reality in your mind, because if you can't make it a reality in your mind, it's going to be 10 times harder to make it a reality in real life. You need to believe that it can and will happen. And now when you say no to buying something, it's more of an empowering thing. You know, like, you know what? I don't need that one thing because guess what? I want to go to Germany one day or I want to pay off my house. And it just knowing then that that just got you a step closer it's huge i mean just shifting your whole mindset of i'm rather than i'm missing out seeing it as i'm taking a step forward exactly and i love that too and it your goals don't even necessarily have to have anything to do with finance it's just oh yeah where do you in 10 years right Mm -hmm. like if you want to live in colorado and and ski and snowboard almost every day (laughs) Like that's an incredible goal. I think that is very doable, especially nowadays with how um, the economy is doing and the job opportunities that are going to be all remote in the next couple of years. Yep. It's a very doable goal, but at the end of the day, you have to take a look at your current habits and say, hey, is that realistic for me in 10 years if the status quo doesn't change? Mm-hmm. Right. And I think a lot of people will spend a lot of money on food and they'll spend a lot of money on going out. And it's all these expenditures that it's almost like your your social circle will influence you to spend this type of money. Yes. And it can be very hard. There's a lot of social pressure when it comes to spending money on things that you don't really want to spend money on. Right. Sure. But it's all about being with your friends and maybe they're going out to eat and you know that that 50 bucks, I just can't afford that right now that the first time that you make that decision is going to be the hardest, yep. right? Because it's very unnatural for you to make. And it's something that you've never done before. But I tell you what, guys, you make that decision once, it's going to empower you, like Megan said, to make more decisions like that. And then other people are going to catch you to it because yep. it's very uncommon. And it's the people that can really stay disciplined and spend money on things that you truly enjoy, that, that yes. truly that you, you, you know, and that's my biggest biggest um point about where i sit financially and where i sit around money is i am 1000 percent okay with spending money especially when it comes to premium things you know if you love to snowboard go buy a thousand dollar snowboard because it's going to bring you so much you know happiness and fulfillment in your life but all of the mcdonald's that you get to all the clothes that you don't wear the car that you don't need to the apartment that you can't afford all of those things are they truly making you happy or are you doing it to fill some uh, somebody else's dream so that's my challenge for each you know every single listener listening to this is take a look at your own finances this month pay attention to what you spend on a weekly and a monthly basis and then align a specific goal doesn't have to be long term like Megan and I are talking about. It can be very short term. Oh, yeah. To afford a new car 
or you want to move to a nicer apartment, whatever it may be that right now with your current spending habits is unachievable, but with a small tweak in the way that you budget and the way that you spend money, it's amazing how quickly you can pay yourself and quickly get to the situation and the position that you want to be. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is you can do anything, but you can't do everything. So I think the key is yeah to hone in on those things that you care about the most in the world and stay focused on those, you know, the things that truly do bring you the most happiness and trying your best to not do things just because somebody else is doing them. Right. Take the power away from the money and put that power into your own habits. If you yep. can change that, you'll change the way that your life you live your life and you'll change your financial situation. Just stay consistent. That's the most important part about all this. Stay consistent, stay disciplined. And it's amazing where you can end up in five or 10 years. But we want to hear from you. We want to hear from the listeners. Um, follow our Instagram page at Money for Everyone 2021. We want to hear some of your personal goals that you have, whether that be short term, long term, and even if it's goals that you've had accomplished in the last year, we want to hear from you. We want to hear some of your success stories. And also, we are actively looking for new topics to talk about for our next episode in this entire season. So if you want to make a recommendation or want to make a request, please, please reach out to either that Instagram page or our email, which will be in the body of our Instagram post for this specific podcast episode. But Megan, anything else you want to add? Just that our email address is actually money for everyone podcast at gmail.com. Excellent. Well, to all of our listeners out there, have a great rest of your week. We will hear from you again in the next two weeks, I assume, once we start getting a regular cadence on these episodes. But until then, remember to always feel love and gratitude for yourself, others, and even your money.